want to begin this morning by turning to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and we want to begin reading at verse 25. Then he, that is the Lord Jesus, then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to gather in a meeting like this. It tells us that we're still living in the day of grace. We're still living in the accepted time when men and women and young people can turn to you from their sin and trust you as their Savior. We pray that you would speak to the hearts of any here today who do not know you. And it's a comfort, Father, further for those who are saved to know that we're still living in the day of grace. We're still living in the day of opportunity to serve you and to be used of you here in this world. And we pray that that would be the desire of each person who knows you here today. We pray that you would just open your word to us and speak to us from it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're continuing with our, our study of Israel's words to his son Joseph. Last week, I believe we mentioned these verses that we just read, but we wanted to begin with them today, and we want to keep them as sort of the background of what we're going to talk about today. Because there's a connection between verse 26 and verse 27 that is very critical to see. Verse 27 tells us that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 26 tells us what it was that the Lord Jesus expounded, what it was that he unfolded to these two men. What it was he unfolded in all the scriptures concerning himself. It was the things that he would suffer. And the glory into which he would then enter. We see these things in the life of Joseph. Keep your place here because eventually we're going to come back here for a few minutes. If you can hold your place here in Luke. And turn back to Genesis chapter 49 to begin with, and verse 24. Israel says concerning his son Joseph that his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd the stone of Israel. 
The connection between Joseph's life and the life of the Lord Jesus is suggested to us by Israel's words here at the end of verse 24. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Those words, as we talked about last week, have a a double meaning. In the immediate context, they apply to Joseph. God, in his providence, had sent Joseph to Egypt before his family to be a shepherd, to be a stone to them. As a shepherd, Joseph led and provided for his people. And as a stone, he upheld them and supported them in the land of Egypt. So God used Joseph as a shepherd and a stone. But shepherd and stone are names of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. He is the chief cornerstone. And so in these words, we see Joseph and we see Jesus, and it's like that. Because the Spirit of God wants us to see in all these scriptures that tell us of the life of Joseph, he wants us to see a picture of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been doing in these recent messages, and it's what we want to do this morning. In the sufferings of Joseph... In these scriptures, we've seen the sufferings of Christ. In Genesis 37, we saw Joseph last week hated and rejected by his brethren. They desired to kill him. We saw him betrayed into the hands of the Ishmaelites and sold for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a 17-year-old slave. Those things happen. Those things are part of the sufferings in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's despised and rejected of men. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Neither did his brethren believe in him. And the hatred of the Jews for the Lord was such that they desired to kill him. They took counsel how they might destroy him. They took counsel together to put him to death. The Lord, we, we see the Lord betrayed by Judas into the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. In Genesis 39, we saw Joseph on trial. We saw him falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and yet in the face of these false accusations, Joseph didn't open his mouth. Just as the Lord Jesus would be brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. When the Lord Jesus was brought before the chief priest and the council and tried, throughout his trial, he was falsely accused. The Bible tells us that he held his peace and answered nothing. And then in Genesis 40, we see the innocent Joseph in the place of pain and suffering between two men, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were guilty and who deserved to be in that place because they had offended the king. This prison was a place of suffering. It was a place of suffering for Joseph. We learn that in Psalm 105. 
And, and if you would, turn over there for just a minute to Psalm 105. It's another portion of Scripture that we've mentioned. I'm not sure that we had actually turned and looked at it, but I want us to do that this morning. There's some important things there. Psalm 105 and verse 18. We read concerning Joseph whose feet they put they hurt with fetters, whose feet they hurt with fetters. That word hurt means to mishandle. It means to afflict. It means to humili- humiliate. But it wasn't just Joseph's feet they hurt. The last part of verse 18 tells us that he was laid in iron. That word laid is an example of the importance of every word of God. That word laid means to light upon. It means to attack an enemy. That word tells us something about the treatment of Joseph in that prison. He was laid upon with iron. He was attacked and treated as an enemy with this iron. Another meaning of that word laid is to be enumerated. That iron in which Joseph was laid was also used to some way to enumerate, to number the prisoners, to number those who were there in the prison. I guess every day they could have some kind of roll call that the prisoners would answer. Their number would be called and they would be there with their irons on and they could look and they could answer, present, I'm here, still in this same place. But there's another word that is also an example of the importance of every word of God. That's the word he. He was laid in iron. If you look that word up, you find it is the word soul. Soul. And that's how it's translated nearly two-thirds of the time that we find it here in the Old, uh, Old Testament. And I believe the Spirit of God uses that word to tell us that the circumstances there in that prison There were physical circumstances, absolutely. Horrible physical circumstances. But there was mental circumstances. And I believe the Spirit of God uses that word to tell us that the circumstances there in that prison pierced Joseph to the very soul. This 18th verse that describes the suffering of Joseph in this prison in Egypt is one of the Old Testament scriptures that the Lord Jesus is talking about back in Luke chapter 24 that describe the sufferings of Christ. That's what they bring before our minds. The feet of the Lord Jesus were hurt with fetters. Remember the meaning of the word hurt. It means to afflict. It means to humiliate. The Lord Jesus was afflicted. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Isaiah tells us that in chapter 53 and verse 7. And the purpose of the affliction was his humiliation. Acts chapter 8 and verse 33 says of the Lord Jesus, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. 
the feet of the Lord Jesus were hurt with fetters, but the fetters were not bonds that were braided together as Joseph's were. They were nails. They were nails. Psalm 22 and verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. The Lord Jesus was laid in iron. He was lighted upon. He was an attack. He was attacked like an enemy by the iron will of those who hated him and rejected him and who would not have the Lord Jesus Christ to reign over them, who did not want to lose their place and their nation, who did not want to give up control of their lives. And so he was attacked as an enemy by those with a will of iron. The Lord Jesus was laid in iron. And just as this iron was used to enumerate Joseph with the prisoners of the king, Isaiah tells us that the Lord Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. And as we think about this word he, this word that is most often translated soul, and as we think about the circumstances there in that prison that pierced Joseph to the very soul, we can hear the words of the Lord Jesus there in the garden. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And so in the sufferings of innocent Joseph there in the prison in Egypt, between the butler and the baker, we see the sufferings of Christ. We see a picture of the cross of Calvary where the innocent Son of God went to the place of suffering and judgment and death and was crucified for our sins between two thieves, two thieves who were guilty and who deserved to be there. And as it was in the prison in Egypt, so it was at Calvary, as we talked about last week. One of the prisoners there in Egypt was saved, the butler. The other was lost. We see the same thing on the cross. One of the thieves was saved. The other was lost. But just as we see in these scriptures the sufferings of Christ, we also see his glory pictured in the life of Joseph. The Lord did not remain on the cross. He didn't remain in the grave. He rose from the dead. And this morning we want to look at the resurrection and we want to look at the glory of the Lord Jesus as it's pictured to us in the life of Joseph. Turn back to Genesis chapter 41, if you will. Genesis chapter 41 Here in this chapter, Pharaoh has dreamed a dream. None of the experts, none of the wizards or the magicians or the men who were full of the wisdom of this world could interpret it. And it's then, we talked about this last Sunday night, it's then that the chief butler who was delivered from prison remembers Joseph. It's been two full years. And he tells Pharaoh how this young Hebrew who he was in prison with 
He had a dream. He told him his dream. And Joseph interpreted his dream. He interpreted the dream of the butler that he would be restored. He uh, interpreted the dream of the baker that he would be hanged. And his interpretations came out exactly the way he said because they were revealed to him by the Lord. Now look at verse 14. Pharaoh has heard this. And so we read there in verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. The king sends and he brings Joseph out of the dungeon. He brings him out of the pit. That's what the word dungeon means. There's only one way out of a pit. You've got to be raised out of it. And so the king raises Joseph up, Joseph up out of the pit. He raises him up out of this place of judgment, this place of death. That pictures to us what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 10, as Peter stands before the leadership of the nation of Israel, he tells them that God raised Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the dead. In Romans 10 and verse 9, we read that God hath raised him, the Lord Jesus, from the dead. We read those same words in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. God hath raised him from the dead. We find the, those words in Ephesians chapter 1 as Paul talks about the working of the mighty power of God which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so in verse 14, as the king of Egypt raises Joseph out of the pit, out of this place of death, we have a picture of God raising the Lord Jesus from the dead. But there's something else in, in verse 14 that's important to notice. When Joseph was raised from the dungeon, when he was raised from this place of death, he changed his raiment. In other words, he left his prison clothes behind. He left his grave clothes behind. The Lord Jesus did exactly the same thing. In John chapter 20, you remember that Mary Magdalene came to the grave of the Lord and she saw that the stone had been taken away. And so she went and she got Peter and John. She told them, she said, the, the stone's taken away. The Lord's been taken out of the sepulcher. We got to find him. We don't know where he is. And so Peter and John run to the sepulcher. John outruns Peter. He gets to the grave first, but he just stands there looking. He doesn't go in. And Peter gets there. Good old impetuous Peter. He doesn't stop at the, at the door. He goes right on in. And when he does, John tells us what he saw. John 20 and verse 6, Peter saw the linen clothes lying, the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Peter saw the grave clothes. That the body of Jesus had been wound in, by Joseph and Nicodemus. And so in, in, in Genesis 41 and verse 14, we see Joseph changing his raiment, leaving his prison clothes behind. When the king raised him up out of the dungeon, 
And when we come to John chapter 20, we see the Lord Jesus doing the same thing. He told them in all the scriptures, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, he unfolded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And this is one of the things. We see the Lord Jesus changing his raiment, leaving his grave clothes when God raised him from the dead. But there's something else that's pictured by Joseph changing his raiment here. When the Lord Jesus came into this world, he took a body of flesh. He took a body just like you and I have. John tells us in chapter 1 and verse 14 that the word, God, the word was made flesh. That word flesh means the body of a man. Just like the flesh, just like the body that you and I have. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that the Lord Jesus was made in the likeness of men. And he says in, in Hebrews 10 and verse 5, When the Lord Jesus came into the world, a body hast thou prepared me. And so when the Lord Jesus came into this world, he's clothed with a body. He's in this raiment of flesh. He was subject to hunger. He was subject to thirst. He was subject to growing tired, being exhausted. We see him falling asleep as he sailed in a ship. He was clothed in a raiment of flesh just like you and I have. But when God raised him from the dead, he changed his raiment. When God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, he changed his raiment to a glorified body. Look over at John chapter 20, if you will. John chapter 20. And look at verse 19. John chapter 20. And verse 19. Then the same day at evening, it's the, the, being the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be still. Here the Lord comes into this room and the doors were shut. If you still have your place in Luke chapter 24, look back there if you will. Luke chapter 24. And look at verse 36. And as they sp thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do those thoughts arise in your hearts? The reason they thought the Lord was a spirit is because he'd come into the room when the doors were shut. The doors were probably locked as well because, as John tells us, they were there for fear of the Jews. And so suddenly, there's the Lord. So he thought he was a spirit. But the Lord says in verse 38, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me not, or rather handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh 
and bones as you see me have. Here's the Lord appearing to his disciples in his changed raiment, in his glorified body. And we learn some things about the Lord's glorified body. We learn some things about this raiment that he changed into after God raised him from the dead. The Lord ate in his, glory, uh, his glorified body. I'm glad to know that, by the way. Because um, we're going to have a body just like he has. And so it's encouraging to know we're going to eat. We see that here in verse 42. He ate a piece of a, of, of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. In, in verse 39, we learn that this raiment into which the Lord Jesus changed is a body that has flesh and bones. It's a body that can be handled. We're not going to, to, to wave our hands at the Lord and our hand pass through him. It's a body that can be handled. The Lord invites his disciples to do that here. And it's a body that has the, these unique characteristics, the, the ability to pass through solid doors. Uh, look back at John chapter 20. I forgot to tell you to stay there. Um, and this time, look at verse 26. We read verse 19 a minute ago. But look at verse 26. After eight days, so this is another occasion... After eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Remember the first time that the Lord came, Thomas wasn't there. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Twice. The Spirit of God tells us that the Lord Jesus came to where his disciples were, even though the doors were shut. He has a body of flesh and bones, a body of flesh that has the unique ability to pass through solid objects. When, when, when the Lord got this body, the body that he was given when God raised him from the dead, it's, it's a body that is not subject to the law of gravity, by the way, in Acts chapter 1. When the disciples uh, beheld the Lord, he was taken up into heaven. He just went right up. And Paul tells us in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that he's going to return to the air. We will have been changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to have this same kind of body. So don't worry if you have a fear of flying. You're not going to have to worry. In that day. And so we learn some things about this raiment that the Lord changed into when God raised him from the dead. It's a raiment of flesh and bone, it's a raiment that has the ability to pass through solid objects. It's, it, it's a, a body that still can take in food, it's a body that's not restrained by gravity. But there's something else about his body. There's something else about this raiment that the Lord Jesus was given when God raised him from the dead. In Luke 24 and verse 39, won't turn back there, but the Lord Jesus told his disciples, Behold my hands and feet. And notice what he says to Thomas here in verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, 
and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believe. In this raiment that the Lord Jesus changed into, when God raised him from the dead, in this glorified body that he has, he will have the marks of the cross. He will bear the marks of the consequences of our sin for all eternity. But this change of raiment that the Lord Jesus has when God raised him from the dead is in contrast in one area to the raiment into which Joseph changed when he was brought up out of the prison house of sin and death. Joseph, we read a little bit earlier in Psalm 105, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Do we think his years in prison, as many, perhaps as many as 13 years, do we think that because of his years in the prison house that Joseph would have borne scars from the fetters? That he would have borne scars from the iron? I believe he would. But when you read about Joseph changing his raiment, after we read that, there's not one mention of even one scar that he bore from his imprisonment. Folks, that is what it means to be in Christ. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, God changes our raiment. He raises us from the dead of our trespasses and sins and he clothes us in his righteousness. And that is how God sees us in Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now. Yet now. Sometime when you're uh, running by. Uh, Colossians 1.21 in your Bible study, draw a big red circle around that word now because it's present tense. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Remember, he still bears the marks of the consequences of our sin in his body of flesh to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's our standing in Christ. And, the, and the, the wonderful message of redemption is that one day our state will equal our standing. One day. When the Lord comes again, if we've died, he's going to raise us from the dead. If we're alive... We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Remember, Pharaoh brought Joseph up hastily, quickly. That's how we're going to be changed in that day. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Ephesians 5.27 In that day, he's going to present us to himself not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we should be holy and without blemish. All the scars of our sin are going to be gone. 
Won't that be a wonderful day? Because God's going to change our raiment. He's going to change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Only the Lord Jesus will bear the marks of the consequences of our sin for all eternity. What a blessed exchange. The choir sings about that. His robe for mine. His raiment for our raiment. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 41, if you will. And verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. When Joseph is brought out of the prison house, He's brought out of this place of death. The next thing that we see is his exaltation. And the order that we see in these scriptures is exactly what the Lord Jesus expounded in Luke 24 and verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Notice that order. Suffering, glory. We've just talked about Joseph's suffering. And in chapter 41 and verse 14, we see his being raised out of the place of suffering and death. Now look at chapter um, 41 and verse 38. Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall not no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Here in Genesis 41, Pharaoh set Joseph over all the land of Egypt. He says, no man can lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. The order of Joseph's life, suffering, then glory. Suffering, then exaltation. That's the exact same order that we see in the life of the Lord Jesus. Keep your place here and look at Philippians chapter 2 if you will. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is the suffering of Christ. Suffering that he unfolds in the scriptures in the life of Joseph. And then just like in the life of Joseph, Joseph is brought up out of the prison and he's exalted. He enters into the glory of being over all the land of Egypt. Just like in the life of Joseph, the Lord Jesus, after his suffering, enters into his glory. Look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a contrast. There's this comparison. Suffering, glory. Suffering, exaltation in the life of Joseph. Suffering and glory. Suffering and exaltation in the life of the Lord Jesus. But there's a very important contrast. In Genesis chapter 41 and verse 43, Pharaoh made Joseph to ride in the second chariot. And as he rode in that second chariot, someone went before him, wherever he went, and they cried, bow the knee. When Joseph entered into his glory, People were commanded. People were compelled to bow the knee to him. But notice what we read concerning the Lord Jesus when he entered into his glory. Look again at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the Lord's glory, in this day of grace, the command of God is not bow the knee. The command or the message from heaven is that every knee should bow. The command in, in Joseph's situation was bow the knee. The word from heaven today is every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. Why the difference? Because in this day of grace, as through all of time, God will not violate your free will. He will not force you to be saved. He will not force you to give up your life in exchange for his life. 
He won't do that. Think about that. You and I crucified the Lord of glory. You and I put the marks in his hands and his feet and his side that he'll bear for all eternity. And yet the Lord Jesus loves us so that he's willing to save us, not force us to be saved. He's willing to save us if we just simply come to him, if we'll humble our heart, if we'll bow our knee, if we will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And Paul goes on to say, For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord will not force you to do that. But you can do that right now, right where you are. You can bow your knee. You can call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. But if you refuse, if you refuse and you go on through your life in your sin and rebellion, don't think that you have escaped. Don't think that you're not going to one day bow your knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You are. There will come a day when you will bow your knee and with your tongue you will confess. Isaiah chapter 45, beginning in verse 21. The Lord says, tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. And this just God is the Savior because he died the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so the Lord says in verse 22 of Isaiah 45, Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. There is no other Savior. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven. Given among men whereby we must be saved. But if you refuse, if you're going to bow your neck and harden your heart, then Isaiah 45 and verse 23 says this to you. I have sworn by myself, God says, God who cannot lie, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. You are going to bow your knee. 
And you are going to confess with your mouth. But you know what's missing there? Any reaction from your heart. You will not believe in your heart. That is what will not be possible in that day. You're going to bow your knee. You're going to confess with your mouth. But you won't be able to believe in your heart. Is that God's fault? Absolutely not. And the reason you won't be able to believe in your heart is because you have hardened your heart and hardened your heart and hardened your heart. At every turn, at every opportunity, when God gave you the opportunity to be saved, and you will have crossed a line where God hardens your heart. And there is no remedy for that. All that remains will be a fiery looking for of judgment and indignation. John describes it this way in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. For whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This morning is still the day of grace. We know that because we're here. This morning you can bow your knee and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the message of the gospel. That Christ died for your sins. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day so that you might have life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this very sober message that we see here in the life of Joseph. The suffering, the resurrection, the glory, the exaltation. Exactly what we see in the life of the Lord Jesus. The suffering, death, his resurrection, his exaltation. It's the message of the gospel. The simplicity that is in Christ. That he died for our sins. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Father, if there's anyone here lost today, we pray that you would speak to them. And we pray that they would cry out to you. That they would, right where they are, humble their heart. That they would bow their knee that they would confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.